Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. When opportunity strikes. I know Kevin mentioned it. I do want to remind you of our um, celebration of the Lord's Supper tonight at 6 o'clock here in in, uh, the sanctuary. And so we look forward to seeing you uh, here for that. And then also we want to thank you, those of you who uh, prayed this week during your uh, times of devotion for our young people. I had a lot of people away this week at uh, various camps And so thank you to those who were diligent this week, praying for God's work in their lives. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? I'll begin in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 11. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people's a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Father, we thank you for the glorious message of redemption in Scripture. That while we were lost in trespasses and sins, you sent your Son to be our Savior, that through Him we might have life everlasting. Father, I pray that if there is even one here today who has not heard that message and placed their faith in Christ and Christ alone, That this might be the hour that they make that decision and experience the new birth. Father, we know that this is a mystery. It's your work. Even as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John 3, when he said, The wind blows where it will, and we know not where it comes from nor where it is going. That's a picture of the work of your Holy Spirit in redemption. It's a mystery, but it's your work. And God, we pray that you would work your work here today. 
And I pray for Christians who have already made that decision, but maybe they're wrestling with decisions in their lives right now. Or perhaps wrestling with some sin in their life. Lord, that you would bring deliverance and power and victory today. We thank you for the promise here that your word will not return unto you void, but will accomplish that which you please. Father, we pray that your purposes would go forth for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. D-Day is that day in history on June 6, 1944, when Allied forces led by General Dwight D. Eisenhower landed along a 50-mile stretch of France in five sectors. Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juneau, and Sword in an operation known as Operation Overlord. Hitler had built a massive Atlantic wall along the coastlines of Norway, Denmark, the Netherlands, and France. His belief was that the Allied forces would come ashore somewhere along that area to try and gain a foothold in Europe. Now keep in mind that at that time, Hitler's army was much larger than anything the United States had. In fact, our military was listed as only the 18th greatest military in the world. The Allied plan was that Russia would push on land from east into Germany and the Allied forces would hit by sea along the Atlantic Wall and Hitler would end up being crushed in between the two. But weather was not cooperating for the beach landing. D-Day, originally planned for June the 4th, had to be postponed. Eisenhower gave the order to have troops stand down. They had conducted a campaign known as Operation Bodyguard to make Hitler think the landing would happen somewhere else. But with weather delays, the whole operation was under threat of becoming known. And so each passing hour was very critical. When weather turned bad, German forces were lulled into a false sense of security, believing that the invasion could not happen. And so many of Hitler's senior commanders took a few days off. General Field Marshal Rommel even took a few days off to celebrate his wife's birthday. And others were in other regions conducting war games on June 6th. The order was given by Eisenhower to go. They could not wait any longer and so the airborne assault began just after midnight and at 6.30 a.m. the largest ever amphibious assault began. Now while massive loss of human life occurred, D-Day was a sweeping success. Allied forces penetrated the Atlantic Wall took the beaches and they began their advance into Europe. Sometime later, Hitler knew that he was crushed between the two forces. He committed suicide. And soon thereafter, Germany surrendered. 
Folks, what was the key to D-Day? It was the element of surprise, keeping the enemy off guard where the landing would occur. And Eisenhower gave the command to go at just the right moment in time. You see, timing was the key. It was at just the right opportunity. Now the word opportunity comes from a Latin phrase that originally referred to how in, in olden times captains of ships, there were certain harbors that they could not go into unless there was a high tide. And so they would hold their ships right out from the Bay Area and then at, when high tide moved in, the captain knew he had to quickly give the order to get the ship into harbor, get it unloaded, get it back out to sea before low tide occurred. Opportunity. Well, folks, if opportunity is so important in the, in the physical realm, how much more important is opportunity in the spiritual realm? And so Isaiah is presenting us here with, with, a, with an invitation that is a gracious opportunity from God. It is an opportunity of grace that happens at a particular time in a man's life, in a woman's life. It is a gracious call that goes out, an invitation that is being given, but it is an opportunity that must be taken. And we see here that it is an opportunity that must be taken with certainty and swiftness. F.C. Jennings writes of this passage that the Spirit of God lifts up voice loudly. For this is no whispering word of prophecy, but a call as from a silver trumpet. I want you to notice with me first of all today from the first three verses... A gracious call. Read again in verses 1 to 3. He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Now the setting here is Judah as they are away in exile in Babylon and the, and the call is going forth that they can go back to the promised land and they can rebuild Jerusalem and the walls around Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. They can rebuild their land again and inhabit it. And God is giving His people a, a great and gracious invitation and wanting them to accept the offer. Now I want you to notice that the language here is the language of the marketplace. 
all the vendors have gone out into the, 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 uh, the center of the city and, and they've set up their tables and on their tables they've laid out all of their goods and, and as people go shopping for the day they, they go through the marketplace and, and they, they, they buy from the various vendors what's offered there. But Jehovah God is being seen here as a vendor also. He has his goods laid out and they're not for sale. It's the greatest offer of all. It's given to anyone. Listen to the, to the verbs here. Come, buy, eat, listen, delight, incline, hear. All you've got to do is to see your need and respond. God is calling. Folks, sometimes God calls to us maybe in the strangest sort of ways. It may be through trials and tribulation in our lives. It may be through difficult times in our lives when we feel like we're at the end of our rope. God may be speaking to us through our circumstances even. But He's calling. He's given a gracious call, a gracious invitation and saying, come to me. And all we've got to do is listen and respond. Accept it by faith. Reminds me of what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In other words, those who understand that they have nothing in their spiritual treasure chest to bring to God by which to gain or earn His approval. We have nothing. We're bankrupt. And so we come to him simply accepting his offer of grace. I believe one of the reasons God gives us physical hunger is to remind us every day as we eat that there is also a spiritual hunger. And so every day when we sit down to eat, we're to be reminded that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The invitation is not for sale. You don't need money to experience God. In fact, you can't buy Him off if you're rich. There are none that are so poor that they cannot run to God and find mercy. And there are none that are so rich that they can buy God off or bribe Him. The only requirement here is come, everyone who thirsts, and he who has no money. And I want you to notice what is being offered here. Three things. Water. Wine, milk are the terms being used. Commentators write about these. They describe the water, the refreshing water of salvation when God, because of the shed blood of Christ, and of course at this time all those sacrifices that that pointed forward to that sacrifice made in Christ, when we experience God's salvation and we're washed clean of everything we've ever done wrong in our lives, all of our sin because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and, and we experience that cleansing water from God if you will that, that human analogy that's being given here uh, of your soul being washed clean and, and you can stand before God and you can have peace and joy and forgiveness and know that you're in a right standing with God and then the wine symbol of joy 
Not only salvation, but we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Every child of God is sealed with the Holy Spirit by which we're able to cry out, Abba, Father, and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And every day that we go about our lives, we're able to walk in the power and joy of the Holy Spirit. And then milk, nourishment that comes from that. God not only saves us and fills us with the presence of His Spirit and and joy, but also He gives us that spiritual food, that growth that we so desperately need in our our lives. And again, He's saying all we've got to do is see our inadequacy and our need and look at God's provision and by faith go to Him. God offers what's good and we delight in it. He says here he's offering to us the covenant of David. Those uh, classic Old Testament commentators, Kyle and Dellett, speak of, uh, of God here initiating the covenant with us. The covenant that he began many years ago in the Old Testament. With, with Abraham and Abraham's descendants and David. And, and God was always sparing for himself that rem, remnant in, in which he would work in their lives. And through them to the nations. And God is saying to the one who will accept his gracious call and, and come to him by faith. We stand in that long line of saints in the Bible to enjoy what God began in them and what God can continue to do in and through us to the end of the ages. It's what God is offering. I want to ask you this morning, are you tired of being spiritually empty and lost? Are you tired? Of a life perhaps without peace and joy. Then come. Everyone who thirsts for what only God can give. Come. Come to Him. Reading last night out of chapter 2 of Dr. Billy Graham's autobiography. Just as I am. Some of you perhaps have read that. In chapter 2. That, 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 that chapter entitled the, the 180 degree turn in his life. Dr. Graham speaks of growing up on the farm, his dad's farm in Charlotte, just off of Park Road, and, and um, going out every day and milking the cows and working on the farm. And his family, at, they grew up uh, Presbyterians, associations with Steel Creek Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, and, and then after that, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in Charlotte. And, and he grew up, he was baptized as an infant and then uh, confirmed. He said he knew the shorter catechism word for word. And yet some pastors and businessmen in Charlotte invited evangelist Mordecai Ham to come to Charlotte. Mordecai Ham was that hellfire and brimstone evangelist. He had been the pastor of First Baptist Church of uh, Oklahoma City. And he was controversial everywhere he went because he was such a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And he didn't mind calling out people's sins. And they invited Mordecai Ham to come and preach a revival down near downtown Charlotte. And uh, Billy Graham's parents went and came back and said, You know what? With his preaching, the lights came on in our lives as never before. Billy Frank, you need to go with us. And Billy Frank said, Huh, I don't need that. High school boy. One of his friends 
kept persisting. And then one day in the Charlotte News, back then they had the observer in the morning, the news in the afternoon, uh, Charlotte uh, News broke a story about Mordecai Ham as he was calling out sin. He was calling out the sin of a local high school and some of what the students were involved in and made them mad. And they were, the, they were threatening to one evening of the revival meetings, by the way, went on for 11 weeks Two services a day, morning and evening, except on Mondays. For 11 weeks, that revival went on. And one night, all the students from that high school were going to prance in and go up front to the pulpit area, and they were going to stand and protest. And, and so one of Billy Graham's friends came to him and said, Don't you want to go and see that? He said, Well, you know what? It would be kind of nice to see a show like that. But this friend said, He's a fighting preacher, too, and... Billy Graham said, man, I wanted to see that, a fighting preacher. He said, plus this friend offered he could drive the truck. They would pile all the farm workers in that night. Billy could drive the truck to the meeting. And they'd go to the, to the tent meeting. So that's what he did. He said, that man got to preaching. And he said, I was spellbound. I was riveted. He said, the... the Second night I could go came and, and uh, he said, man, all my dad's horses and mules put together couldn't have kept me anymore from those meetings. He said, but as I went to those meetings, I sat there and, and boy, I was under such conviction. But I knew I'd been a pretty good boy. Confirmed and all that and... Behaved myself for the most part. He said, but I sat there and night after night after night after night, the conviction grew. He said, finally I got to where I thought Mordecai Ham was looking directly at me and preaching to me as though I were the only one in the room. He said, I remember one night hiding behind this big old large brim hat a lady in front of me had on. I was hiding there. But he said, I couldn't stay away. God was doing something in my heart. And finally, one night, I found myself down front with multitudes of people. And I was giving my heart to Jesus Christ. Responding to this gracious call. And I was saved. He said, I remember going home that night when I turned down a, a certain street. All of a sudden, it's like... The heavens were open, my eyes were finally open, and, and I saw and I understood God had done His work of conversion in my life. Have you experienced that? Second thing I want you to notice here in, in verse 2 is a perplexing question. Look at what he says in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And so the question is being asked here. Here's God giving this gracious call. And yet what are men doing in life? Men are wandering about in life going this way and that way. Trying this, trying that. Any little solution for the moment to help them out to try to fill the void and the vacuum in their hearts that only God can fill. And they're running to and fro trying a little bit of everything. All in vain. 
And God, it's like God is sitting on His throne in heavens above looking down at men doing this, running to and fro. And God knows He's given this gracious call and it's like He's saying to mankind, why won't you wake up? Why are you doing this? Why are you spending your money for that which is not bread and your energies and resources for that which cannot satisfy? Reminds me of Solomon in Ecclesiastes when he finally concluded everything's vanity until he got right with God. He said in Ecclesiastes 2, I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but this also proved to be nothing but vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines the delight of the children of man and so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them on and on he goes and yet what's his conclusion it was all vanity vanity of vanities I think of that great expositor, Alexander McLaren, what he said on one occasion. He said, the sheer folly of unbelief is something to marvel at. Men continue to toil and labor for more when their souls and deepest longings have never truly been satisfied by the more that they've previously obtained. Isn't that ironic? We're empty inside, we search, we look, we gain, we're still empty. We turn back to that same human well again of looking, searching in vain, possessing more, trying more, doing more. Nothing works and so we try more. We literally, it's like we drown ourselves in the vanity of this age, trying to find something. And all the time God is saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You may be satisfied during the day when your life is busy, but are you at peace at night? How about when everything grows still and quiet at night? Do you have peace? Are you content? Moses said in Psalm 90, He said, God, you've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and, and we fly away. What's Moses talking about there? The shortness of life. The vanity of it all. Like James says, life is is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. 
is not on our side. And that ought to make it easy to obey Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says we ought to be laying up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt or thieves can't break in and steal. But some continue to perhaps stumble at the invitation because it's free. If they had to do something or pay something or make some personal sacrifice themselves, maybe they could understand it and do it. But, but all I've got to do is receive what God's offering by grace through faith. Not of works, not of myself. And so they stumble because it's grace. Others respond like Billy Graham and Billy Graham, and they say, is this all? It's kind of like when Billy Graham stood down there at that altar that night. He thought, you know what? I kind of looked around and felt guilty because there are people by me, beside me and they were crying and weeping and all emotional. And he said, no, no lights or anything went off. I didn't really feel any different. I thought, is this all? But he said, all the change that began happening in my life. He said, even my mother said, well, Billy Frank, there's something different about you now. And he said at Dilworth Methodist Church where he'd go to a Bible study, he walked in the door and evidently the preacher could tell the difference in the countenance in his face and said, young Billy Frank, get down here to this altar. I want to introduce you to this congregation. Men and women, I perceive here's a man God's changed and I have no doubt in my mind God's going to call him into the ministry. But at first he thought, is this all? And yet the great things that God had for him. And so why do we go about continuing in many of the things that we do? Why don't we respond to the gracious call? But I want you to see thirdly in verses 6 and 7, I want you to see an urgent command. Look at what he says there. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. What's the implication? He may not always be found. You see, procrastination is dangerous. And I realize I've told you this story before, even recently. It's probably one of my favorite stories on procrastination. C.S. Lewis's book, Screw Tape Letters. Great little book. Those demons in training. And two junior demons go before that senior demon. And one says, well, uh, actually there's three of them, excuse me. The first says, I know what I'll do. I'll go down there, uh, I'll go up to the earth and I'll tell them there's no hell. And the senior demon says, no, you can't do that. They know there's hell. They've even experienced hell on earth, many of them. Second one says, I'll go and tell them there's no heaven. No, that won't do either. The third one says, I'll go and tell them there's no hurry. They've got time. He says, ah, yes, go and tell them that. Quickly, quickly, all three of you, go and tell the human race that and we will have them down here by the millions. God may not always be available if you turn Him away and, and, and turn Him away and turn Him away. You may not always feel His work and call in your life maybe the way you are at this period in your life. 
You may not even desire him at some later point. I, I heard, I've heard people say this, and, and, and I'll never forget years ago experiencing a case of this. It, it blew me away. I was in college. I was on a revival team, and, and Bailey Baptist Church right outside of Raleigh set a little country church out in the tobacco region of the state set up a tent out on their parking lot we were having one of those old-fashioned tent revivals and during the day members of the revival team we'd go door to door through the town knocking on doors we walked up to this white house one of those big old 1940s or 50s style Big front porch, wraparound front porch, spindles, rocking chair. We knocked, nobody came to the door. We were about to leave, turned and, and, and saw this tall, slender man. He's probably six foot two or more. I'll never forget seeing him walk from across the road. He was probably in his late 60s or early 70s. And he said, can I help you young men with something? And we told him who we are, who we were and why we were there. We invited him to come. He said, no thank you boys. Don't believe so. His response puzzled us and we kept talking to him. He said, boys, let me tell you something happened to me early in life as a young man. I was sitting in church and, and uh, he says, I suppose you could say God was really working in my heart and convicting me. And he said, I can remember sitting in church and, and just hanging on to the pew to keep from going down. I remember one time finally getting so sick and tired of that, I told God, God, go away and leave me alone. And he did. And he said, never again have I ever felt any kind of need. Don't even desire what you boys are talking about. We pleaded with him, invited him, shared the plan of salvation, testimonies. He said, boys, you're, you're talking to me about something I'm not even interested in anymore. God's not even moving in my life. Don't, don't even have an interest. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I think of little Zacchaeus. There Zacchaeus was up in that tree looking for Jesus. And what did he discover? He discovered that Jesus had gone to Jericho looking for him. Cornelius. God-fearing man. And God was seeking him. He was seeking God. God was seeking him. He said, Simon, Simon Peter... Get up from Joppa. Go with these men who are going to take you to Caesarea. And, and there you're going to find a Roman centurion, an important man, an official, God-fearing man, Cornelius, wanting to know the way of salvation. And he was saved. Seeking the Lord and God was seeking for him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He goes on to say here, let the wicked forsake his way. What's he talking about here? Repentance. You can't walk with God and stay just the way you are. The prodigal son learned in that distant country, he said, I'll, I'll get up and go back to my father. My father's servants even have it better than me. And he, and he got up and he returned to his father. A picture there of repentance. Going to God, seeking God. 
while He's moving in your life, while He's calling to you, is, is God calling in this time of your life, maybe a young person, is God speaking to you, is God calling, is, is God working in your life, some businessman that maybe God's been calling into the ministry or calling your family to the mission field. What's Isaiah saying here? You better seek the Lord and call on Him while He's near. Opportunity. God may not always work in your life the way God is working in your life right now. God may not always convict you the way He's convicting you right now. And so the plea is urgent. It's urgent. Don't let it pass. Fourthly, he gives a reasoned defense. Why is God giving this offer? What's, what's behind it all? And so look at what he says beginning there in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He's contrasting here the vastness between our ways and God's ways. Man's way, we think of the moment, we think of pleasure, we, we think of the temporal. We think of what we can see, what we hear, what we touch and feel. And so we live our lives by, by rationalism, by existentialism, by experience, by intuitionism. And, and we think these are justifiable models for eternity and they're not. Man's ways. But God is telling us about His ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. Reminds me of what Paul said at the end of Romans 11. He said, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord or who's been His counselor? Or who's given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. His ways are higher than our ways. Well, if His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, how can we experience His ways and His thoughts? Through His Word. And that's what He goes on to speak about. His word, he says, as the rain falls to the earth and waters the earth and brings forth the vegetation and and fruits and, and all that feed us and sustain us, so is my word, my word shall accomplish that which I please. It will not return unto me void. God's word 
accomplishes God's work in our lives. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. At creation, God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. At the recreation of a man's life, conversion, he speaks. And man is born again. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And he says here, it will succeed. Indeed, the book of Revelation gives us that picture of the end of time when people from every tribe and tongue and nation are gathered around the throne and they're singing praises to God. His mission succeeds. Will you be a part of the success story, though? Again, his invitation is there. The opportunity is there. He, he, he puts it out on the table for us. And says, come to me. Hear. Listen. Incline. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Have you done that? Again, God may not quite in the same style, same way, be passing this way, your way, like He might be in this period of your life. God may have been working over the past days, weeks, months, pointing out to you, to you your sin and lostness and need of a Savior. You need to wake up and pay attention to that. If God is doing some other work in your life, calling you to missions, calling you to ministry, calling you to deal with some sin in your life, you need to pay attention to that. Deal with it. If not, He turns you away empty-handed. If you respond, what's He do in your life? Well, I like the next two verses. It, it, it kind of describes the experience God's people have when they, when they live God's way. He says in verse 12, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You know, it's, when we get right with God, it, boy, it's like the whole world just brightens up, doesn't it? Do you need to be saved this morning? Nothing by waiting you stand you have nothing to gain and possibly everything to lose if you continue in unbelief. Nothing to gain by waiting, everything to lose. Some sin in your life, some bondage Deal with that. Experience victory. Some call that you've been fighting. Victory. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Let the wicked forsake His way and turn to the Lord. When opportunity strikes, would you stand, please?
Our hymn of invitation will be on the screens behind me. I would love to pray with somebody. Somebody that's wrestling with turning their life over to Christ. I'd love to pray with you about that. If you're struggling some sin or bondage in your life, some call of God on your life, the altar's open. Deal with this time very urgently. God may be passing your way this morning. He has a divine appointment with you. What will you do?